0: The following teaching is brought to you by Crosspoint Church. For sermon notes and other resources, visit go to So That's a group of our, our, a picture of our last gathering. Uh, All the families are there together. Um, Again, Germany, Italy, the UK, France, Spain, those are where, those are the places where we have people, people serving. Let me focus it down just a little bit more to a local level. We live outside of Barcelona, Spain and what we do on a local level is varied. Some of it is very direct in our evangelism and, and our sharing of Jesus, and some of it is more community service oriented, kind of like the party that you guys are going to be doing in the next couple weekends at the Vale headquarters. It's more community service and outreach event where the personal relationship is established so that you can form a bridge to share the gospel of Jesus Christ, right? So, Some of the things that we have going on. One direct thing is is training. There are 50 million, you've probably heard this, 50 million Muslims living in Europe. That's a huge number. And the number is increasing. The same week that we came here to the States, a ship with 750, I believe, immigrants and refugees from North Africa sank in the Mediterranean, trying to flee, trying to leave. And the majority of those are coming from Muslim countries. So every day, there's more people entering, okay? And the church, the global church, is waking up to this fact. And so in local areas all across Europe, and especially where we live in Spain, people are kind of waking up to the idea like, wow, these people are coming, they're in our neighborhoods, you know, they're coming from Africa, they're coming from the Middle East, and we have an opportunity, it's not a threat, it's an opportunity to share Jesus with them. How great is this? The nations are coming to us. We can share Christ with them. So what we are involved in is training these churches in appropriate ways to share the gospel with Muslim neighbors and immigrants. So that's one of the things that we do. Another thing that we do is work with the local Spanish church. Um, Every Tuesday afternoon in Spain, I'm in, in the leadership of a group of people in our local Spanish church who reach out to children the neighborhood children. We do an after-school club, help them with homework, and every Tuesday afternoon, these children who come from about 13 different countries uh, listen to a story from the Bible. Uh, We teach them stories from the Bible, and there's no obvious obligation for them to convert to Christianity or to pray in the name of Jesus or anything, but they're hearing, they're being educated from a biblical point of view on Christian values and Christian ethics. And these children come every Tuesday. Another group that we have in the Spanish church, you'll see that Arabic word, that means it says Mahabba, and that means love. And so there's local believers in our Spanish church who have formed a team to learn how to reach out and to do events and things in their local community. In addition to working with our local Spanish church, we have an association called Mosaico. And Mosaico is um, an association that has different avenues to reach Uh, the immigrants and refugees where we live. So outdoors activities, mountain climbing, caving, um, offering meals to homeless people. During the month of Ramadan, we, we came alongside some local believers from a Muslim background. They had it in their heart to serve their own people, to give meals to those people who don't have families in this special month of Ramadan, which for Muslims is very important. Usually the whole family is together for that whole month and sharing meals. But people who come As immigrants and refugees, they're very isolated, so they don't have their families. So, our local believers wanted to share that time and and provide those meals for them. So, our association came alongside and did that for them. More recently, uh, on Wednesday nights, you'll see this picture of Martin and the youth playing football (laughs) the real football. It's indoor soccer, and every Wednesday afternoon they play together. Um, Again, teens and youth who have nothing better to do, trying to keep them out of trouble, trying to keep them off the streets, out of the drug scene, all of that. So they come together and they play um, indoor soccer. And also another thing that the ladies are doing now is um, a craft workshop. Um, This is a really precious story. I would love to tell you more in detail later, but one of the North African believers came to me, And said, I really want to do this for the women. And so she hand-selected women that she feels are spiritually sensitive, are seeking answers, but are not believers yet, are not followers of Jesus Christ. But she sees in them that desire, and she feels like, yeah, they're close. So she hand-selected these women, brought them together in the same room, and we do a craft workshop that comes with a breakfast every morning. And we sit and chat around these crafts that we do about God, about the Bible, about biblical ethics and stories and values and using this time together to create community. And hopefully they will belong. That will lead to believe in the the father. So that's our association. Uh, I think out of all of these things, the thing that brings us greatest joy is our house church. And um, every Sunday in Spain, in our living room, we have believers and seekers from a Muslim background who gather together to praise and worship Jesus, to pray for each other and with each other, to study the Bible, to share a meal together and this is what we are calling a house church. Um, it is not as big as crosspoint. <laughs> it's in our living room, therefore it is kind of limited but uh, it's a precious time. You'll see this picture of the two guys with the mask on they. They were the most recent guys who were baptized, and each one has a different journey, a different story, and we praise the Lord that we have the opportunity to shepherd them, to lead them, to guide them in their journey towards Jesus. Not all of them who come on Sundays are believers yet. Uh, Not all of them have professed faith in Jesus Christ, but there's nothing hidden there. There's nothing uh, in what we do. It's very out in the open, and when they come and when they're there, they know exactly uh, who it is that we are praying to? Who it is that what it is that we're studying in the Word of God? And little by little by little, they they are journeying closer and closer towards following Jesus. Would you pray with us that more of them would take that step of faith in baptism? And would you join us in perhaps coming and seeing or visiting fifty million Muslims in Europe, guys? Martin and Joanna are not capable to reach everyone. So listen carefully. If the Lord is giving you the desire to go overseas, to to connect with us in Spain, perhaps to catch a vision of what he might do through you and in you by serving others, then please come and talk with us. All of this that we share with you today is so that Muslims would come to know Jesus and to follow him wholeheartedly. So thank you again for joining with us. Thank you for your partnership over the years We're doing it together as a team. I don't see us doing it solo at all. We're with you, and it's because of you that we can be there. So thank you so much, Cross Point.
1: I echo that. Thank you. And uh, we are very grateful for your support. Just like what Joanna said, we would not be able to do what God has called us to do if it wasn't for you. So thank you for every prayer you offered, every time you wrote us a note or an email or thought about us or every dollar you've given. Um, Eternal investment is the best investment. and I encourage you to continue to support us. Uh, it's good to be back here with you. It's always exciting to be at Crosspoint. Uh, there are some faces that I recognize, but also there's a lot of new faces, and that's, that's great. Um, I always rejoice in seeing new people at the church. If you're wondering where my accent is from, I'm Lebanese. How many of you know where Lebanon is? Okay, good. Lebanon is famous. We invented war. People know about us because of that. <laughs> And uh, I grew up during the war, I actually grew up hating Muslims. I grew up in a Christian part, I hated Muslims, and it's only by God's grace that I'm doing what I'm doing now, because I would be in a very different place if it wasn't for Jesus. So I just want to, from the beginning, give him all the praise. English is my third language, so if I say something you don't understand, just raise your hand, I'll say it louder, maybe you'll get it from the second time. (laughs) Other than that, I hope that I'll be able to share some few words with you this morning that will encourage you. Last time we visited, was about two years ago. I don't know how many of you were here, but there's a lot of discussion about the pandemic and how should Christians behave during the pandemic. Should Christians wear a mask or not wear a mask? We're not going to talk about that today. (laughs) I'm not going to ask who's got vaccinated or did not get vaccinated, but I know there's different opinions of what it means to follow Jesus. If I were to ask you, I'm sure each one of you would have a different idea of what it means to be a Christian and how should a Christian behave in different situations. In Spain sometimes to be a Christian simply means to drink wine and eat pork because others from other religion cannot do that. <laughs> so I'm going to be talking with you today about what does it mean to follow Jesus. A few years ago I was at a gas station in Spain. By the way, gas is $8 so per gallon. So some of you are complaining to me here, saying it's 5 So please just stop complaining. It can get worse than that. So $8, but they pump your gas. So I get to the gas station and the guy comes out. He's a Spaniard. He comes to me and he says, what kind do you want? I said, the best. He looks at me and he says, the best is forbidden in your religion. I didn't know what he's talking about for a second there. Then it dawned on me, he's actually talking about alcohol. You see, because the way I look, most people assume that I'm from North Africa, and because I'm from North Africa, they assume I'm Muslim. So basically, he's saying, you know, you're Muslim, you cannot drink, and I'm Christian, and I can drink, and that's the best. What helped me really understand what he's talking about is I could smell him. And if you could actually smell somebody at the gas station, you would know probably, or you would think at least, he maybe consumed more alcohol than the amount of gas that's at the gas station. So I looked at him and I said, sir, you've made two wrong assumptions. Now he's taken by surprise. He looked at me and said, what do you mean? I said, well, one, I think you're thinking I'm North African. He says, correct. I says, well, that's wrong. (laughs) I said, second, I think you're thinking that I'm Muslim. He says, true. I says, wrong. He says, where are you from? I said, well, I'm Christian. I'm a follower of Jesus. He heard a Christian and he says, well, I have a big Bible in my house. I said, well, honestly, I don't care if it's big or not. Do you read it or not? <laughs> he said, well, not really, but it's, it's kind of big. It's sitting there on my table. <laughs> so I sat there, talked with him for a few minutes, and then I went inside and I paid. And as I came out, he followed me, and this time he was calling me Papa Papa, which is Spanish for Pope. So I moved from being a Muslim to becoming the Pope in less than five minutes. <laughs> How about that? So I talked with him, he had some questions, and then I got in the car, I rolled down the window and I said, you know what, go easy on the alcohol and you might want to start reading that big Bible that you have in your living room. And I took off. But after I took off, I thought, man, I should have told him something different. I should have said to this guy, you know what, do me a favor and don't tell anybody that you're Christian. Just leave it like a secret, you know. Especially these Muslims who come here, just don't tell them you're Christian. Leave it like a secret between you and me, you know. Maybe you want to be an underground kind of Christian. (laughs) This guy got the wrong Jesus. For him to follow Jesus meant something completely wrong. So, what does it really mean to follow Jesus? Well, four things I'll share with you this morning about following Jesus right there in your bulletin. There's some blank if you want to fill it and follow with me. First thing, Well, before I read that, before I tell you what it is, I'm going to read a passage from the Bible. So if you have your Bibles, I saw several of you carry your Bibles. I love that. If you have your device as well you want to use, that's fine. I'm going to read from the Gospel of Matthew chapter 4. Matthew chapter 4 from verse 18 to verse 22. When Jesus called the first disciples to follow him. How did they understand that? What did it mean? So Matthew 4, verse 18. Now, as Jesus was walking by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who was called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Immediately, they left their nets and followed him. Going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, And John, his brother, in the boat with Zebedee, their father, mending their nets, and he called them. Immediately, they left the boat and their father and followed him. Amen. So, first point, following Jesus means obeying. Following Jesus means obeying Jesus. Now, it's very interesting. The word obedience actually does not exist in Hebrew. I don't know how many of you speak Hebrew. But I think you would agree with me. If you speak Hebrew, you know that the word obedience is not there. The, the word that actually used for that is the word Shama. Shama is to listen. It's the same in Arabic. Sama is to listen. Obedience is active listening. A mother in the Middle East would say, My son is not listening to my words. It doesn't mean he's deaf. But he's not obeying. He's not putting into practice what she's saying. So if you are... <laughs> Listening, listening well, actively listening, then you will be obeying. And that doesn't matter whether you're here or in Spain or Lebanon. What God asks us to do, whether you're a new believer or you've been in the faith for a long time, He's always asking us to live a life of obedience. Good obedience, true obedience happens right away. That's a good quality obedience. Parents, you might agree with me. If you ask your kids to do something, if you tell them to clean the room and say, yeah, yeah, we'll do it later, what's going to happen? They're not going to do it. Yeah, you're shaking your heads. You know that, right? (laughs) It's not going to happen. But the ones who really want to obey, they will obey right away. There's one word here that gets repeated twice. Which word? Immediately. What does immediately mean? Immediately. Very good. Now, right away. You know, when I first went to Spain 15 years ago, I didn't speak a word of Spanish. And one of the first words that I learned is the word mañana. Mañana means tomorrow, they said. Oh, good. Fair enough. Well, a few days after that, we had a problem with one of our doors. So I called the carpenter and he came, knocked on the door, went in, looked at the door. And then he says, no tengo herramientas, vuelvo mañana. Well, I understood two words. Herramientas means tools. And mañana is tomorrow. So he's saying, I don't have tools. I'll come back tomorrow. I said, oh, good. No problem. My dad is a carpenter. When I went to work with him, we usually show up at 6 o'clock in the morning. So I thought, maybe he's like my dad. So at 6 o'clock, I was ready, waiting for him to knock on the door. Well, he didn't knock on the door at 6 o'clock. 7 o'clock, nothing, 8, nothing, 9, nothing, 12, nothing, 5 in the afternoon, nothing. The whole day is gone. He didn't show up. Second day, nothing. Third day, nothing. Fourth day, nothing. Fifth day, the guy knocks on the door, opened the door, he walks in, hola, he goes to fix the door. He's like, hey, what happened? He's like, what do you mean? I said, well, you didn't show up. I said, he said, I told you, manana. I said, oh, okay, manana doesn't mean tomorrow. <laughs> manana means not now, not today, okay? Manana means the future. That's what manana means. It's very interesting because, you know, Spaniards have been influenced by Arabs. Arabs actually occupied Spain for 800 years. So the Spanish language has 4, excuse me, 6,000 Arabic words in it. And one of those words is the word Ojalá. If you speak Spanish, "Ojalá" comes from Arabic word inshallah. Inshallah means if God wills. It's an honor-shame culture. So if you invite somebody to come for dinner and they don't want to say no because they don't want to offend you, they'll say, if God wills. Well, we all know God is not going to will, right? <laughs> but they say this to you, so you're not offended and you get the idea that they're not going to be able to come. Now, if you combine these two words, you say, oh, Allah, <laughs> manana, that means forget about it. This thing is not going to happen. <laughs> My obedience many times is just like that. It's not an immediate obedience. It's... Ohla manana. I have a sense that you know the areas in your life where you are not obeying. You're probably saving this for later, right? Saying, "Yeah, well, I know, I know, I'm not doing it, but maybe this is a good project for retirement, right? For later." The disciples had to learn how to obey. It's not always easy. Jesus taught some difficult stuff. Love your enemies. Ah, those dirty Romans, we don't want to love them. Give them food if they're hungry. Give them water if they're thirsty. Bless them when they curse you. We don't want to obey that. That's some difficult stuff. They had to learn how to obey I think as Christians, sometimes we become very good at finding excuses for not obeying. Or sometimes finding some other religious activities to do instead of obeying. You know the famous story in the Old Testament, the story of the first king of Israel. What's his name? Saul. Very good. He's a tall, nice king. And God commanded him to go and wipe out the Amalekites. He says... You wipe them out, you kill all the animals. And then he went to do that, but he kept the king and a lot of animals. And Samuel went to see Saul, and, and Saul said to him, Hey, I carried everything that the Lord has commanded. And Samuel said, Well, what, what is this bleeding of the sheep in my ear and the lowing of the oxen that I'm hearing? He's like, Well, you know, well, I saved some of the best animals to bring and sacrifice to the Lord. Sacrifice is a beautiful act of worship. And Samuel said to him, The Lord has rejected you. You're not obedient. He says, To obey is better than to sacrifice. I don't know if we've substituted our obedience with something else. Sometimes it's a religious activity. Are you obeying? Well, I'm praying about it. Sounds good, right? (laughs) Instead of obedience... We offer worship. And God says to the Old Testament people, He's like, I've rejected your worship. I don't want your worship because your heart is away from me. You're not living a life of obedience. Our story as human beings is a story of rebellion. It started from Adam. You remember Adam? He was in the Garden of Eden, the best place you can dream of. He was living there. He had everything provided for him. God has put everything there for him to enjoy Except from eating from that tree. And what did Adam choose? What did he choose? To disobey. He chose to do his own will. <laughs> do you guys know the Lord's Prayer? What does the Lord's Prayer say? Say it with me Our Father, who are in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done. Stop. How many of you says, your will be done? How many of you says, my will be done? That's how we pray it, if we want to be honest. You might say it with your words, but inside say, my will be done. That's what Adam did. He says, no, God, <laughs> I'm going to do my will here. But praise God that we have a second Adam. We have a great example in Jesus. Thousands of years later in a different garden, in the Garden of Gethsemane, few hours before facing the most horrible death the death on the cross knowing all the pain that he's about to endure he says let your will be done and not mine and by his obedience we have obtained salvation we've been made righteous by his obedience romans 5:19 it says for as by one man's disobedience many were made sinners talking about adam So by the obedience of one, of the second Adam, uh, many will be made righteous. Jesus, although being the perfect son, the Bible says he learned how to obey through suffering. How's your obedience? If you were to rate it from 1 to 10. You don't have to tell me. You can tell Pastor Steve. But are we will we be called the children of obedience. Peter calls the believers children of obedience. And that's my prayer, that you will be as well children of obedience. So that's the first one. What is the first one? Following Jesus means? Obeying Obeying Him. Ready for the second one? Following Jesus means staying behind Jesus. Staying behind Jesus. The word that Jesus used here when He called the disciples is the Greek word opiso. Basically it means come Behind, come after, follow after me. What simply means that Jesus goes first and then we go after him. It sounds very simple, right? But the tendency is to switch that order. You know, So we start, him, he go, Jesus going first, but then little by little we become very comfortable and we move ahead of him and all of a sudden he's going after us. Following Jesus means staying behind Jesus. But he's too slow for us. Right? When I'm walking with the family, my tendency is always to go first. Sometimes there's like 30 feet between us. I'm always running. I always want to go first. And the tendency in ministry as well for me is to just go fast. He's too slow for us. We have things to grow. We have, you know, my ministry want to become bigger. My job, I want to make more money. I want a bigger house. I want a louder dog. You know, he's just too slow for me. So what happens? I go in front of Jesus and all of a sudden he's behind and it becomes all about me. Now, Jesus, you come (laughs) bless my work. You come bless my project. You come look at my ministry, bless my ministry. And you know what? When I'm doing that, when I go ahead of Jesus, honestly, I'm just very stressed. I'm discouraged. I'm tired. I'm grumpy. You don't want to be around me. (laughs) But when I'm following him, I have peace in my heart. I can be at ease because I know he's the one going in the front. I know he's the one who's taking care of this. It doesn't matter what the task is. It doesn't matter how challenging, how demanding. It doesn't matter how much money I need to raise and how much resources I need. If he's in it, I have peace in my heart. If God orders the pizza, he will pay for it. You know what I mean? It doesn't matter how expensive it is. If it's his, he will take care of it. If it's $10 or $10 billion, if it's his, he will pay for it. I just need to make sure that he's the one that ordered the pizza. That's my job. (laughs) You know, the disciples, when they followed Jesus at the beginning, what we read here in this passage, they did great. But later on in the journey, they were tempted many times to actually move ahead of him. Peter, who just left the net and followed him later on in his in the journey, you know, there were times when he wanted to push his own agenda on Jesus. I'll give you one quick example in Matthew chapter 16. It's a turning point in the life of Jesus because when they got to a place called the Caesarea of Philippi, the Bible says, from there on, Jesus began to speak more clearly about his death. He says, the Son of Man is going to die. And Peter did not like that. He says, Peter. Came to Jesus and he says, you are not going to die. Nobody's interested in a dead Messiah. This is not going to happen. Now you follow my plan, Jesus. You're not going to the cross. Jesus was harsh with him. He says, get behind me, Satan. For you're not mindful of the things of God, the things of men. That's what happened. These other two brothers, John and James, they left and they followed. But later on also, they were tempted to, you know, they became very comfortable with Jesus. Like, hey, Jesus, now let us be in charge. Let us be in the driver's seat. When they went to a Samaritan town in Luke chapter 19, they preached the gospel. The Samaritans rejected them. So they came to Jesus. John and James came to Jesus. Hey, Jesus, we have a great idea. Now you watch us do this. They said, what do you think if we ask for fire to come down from heaven and burn these people? That's the plan, Jesus. They were ready to push their own agenda on Jesus. They wanted to burn these people. I often wonder, actually, what would have happened if they were, like, alone, and Jesus was not there, and they did it. And Jesus comes back, and here they are, James and John, shish kebabing some Samaritans. Can you imagine that? <laughs> but Jesus said to them, you don't know what kind of spirit you're of. For the Son of Man did not come to destroy man's life, but to save them. Get behind me. (laughs) Get back on track. Take a moment and look at your rear view mirror. If you see Jesus there, you're in trouble. (laughs) It's time to push on the brakes and get behind Jesus. So, what's the first one? Obeying. Obeying. What's the second one? Staying. Staying behind Jesus. Third one, following Jesus means being With Him, being with Jesus. It's a little twist on what I just told you. And the second one. When Jesus asked the disciples to follow Him, how many hours a day were they supposed to follow Him? What? Four? 24, yeah. You have 24 hours a day? We do the same in Spain. We have 24 hours as well. They were asked to follow Him 24 hours a day. How many days a week do you have? Seven. They were asked to follow him how many days? When do you follow Jesus? Sunday morning. Oh, good. (laughs) The rest of the week? Where's the church on Monday? They had to follow him the whole time. They traveled together. They ate together. They got tired together. They slept in the same place. They traveled in the same boat. They listened to His teaching. They saw His miracles. They were together the whole time. They had to understand that from there on, their identity depended on being with Jesus the whole time. Mark 3.14. I love how Mark says it. He says, He called twelve to be with Him. And to send them out to do some work every once in a while. (laughs) But the main calling is an invitation to be with Jesus. But there's a lot of work to do, yes. And there's time to go do all of that. But first, you're called to be with Jesus. And that never changes, friends. Your assignment changes. The disciples had different assignments. Jesus sometimes sent them to the villages. Sometimes he asked them to do something else, to look for food, to talk to the people. Their assignment changed, but their calling never changed. And we are all called first to be with Jesus. And that's what should give you your identity. In Paul's words, we are called to be in Jesus. If you want to use that, that's fine as well. To be in Jesus. For me to live is Jesus. That's what Paul said. That's why he was able to say to die is gain. But for you, if life means something else, death is never going to be a gain. It's always going to be a loss. But for you, if to live is Jesus, then yes, death is gain because you go to be with him. The danger for us, for me, <laughs> is to become attached to the things that I do. Basically, every once in a while, what I do becomes who I am. If I were to ask you, who are you? would say, well, I'm a doctor, or I'm a pastor, or I'm a mechanic, whatever. The danger is for, to let ourselves be defined by the things that we do. I don't know if you're understanding me or not, but a few years ago, it was time for us to leave Spain to leave the ministry that we do and come to the States. And prior to leaving, I was, I was proud of the things that I was doing. I was actually leading one of the largest teams in our organization. It was a multi-ethnic team from people from nine different backgrounds. We started from scratch. We had an association that we also started in the city. And it was very well known in the city. I was the founder and the president of that association. We saw some people come to know Jesus from a Muslim background. I baptized them, was discipling them. I was started a house church. I was pastoring that house church. I was serving on several networks, interdenominational networks. I was proud about all these accomplishments. And I had to leave it all and come to the States. And I just did not like that. I remember... We were attending a church, and we walk into this church, and the lady was welcoming us at the church. And she's asking us these indirect, non-offensive questions, trying to figure out if, you know, this is our first time at the church. She's actually trying to figure out if we're even believers. And for me, that did not sit well. For me, that felt like as if somebody's asking if Paul is a Christian, (laughs) So I decided I want to play a missionary card on her. So I said, yes, of course you haven't seen us around because we are missionaries in Spain. So she heard Spain and she's like, oh, hola. I said, well, hola to you. (laughs) And then she told me one story. She said, well, my son, you know, went to Costa Rica last summer. They were there for six days and they planted 10 churches. How many have you planted? There goes my missionary card, right? Like, oh, okay, where's the bathroom? <laughs> and then I was back at that church later on, another Sunday, and the pastor actually asked me to preach, and I was preaching at that Sunday, and it's a good-sized church, and I was enjoying that moment. And afterwards, there's a line of people who came to talk to me. And I was there shaking their hands and enjoying that. And then I heard this soft voice that came to me and says, Martin, you're so happy this Sunday, but last Sunday you were not happy. Why? And that put me on a journey of rediscovering who I am in Jesus. And God would come to me and say, Martin, you are not the team leader. You are not the pastor. That's not who you are. You are my son. That's who you are. And I want you to rejoice in that. It doesn't matter where you are. You are my son. The best title that you will ever have is a title that you already have. You are God's son. You are God's daughter. That's who you are. Are you able to rejoice in that? 1 John 3 1 says, See what great love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called the children of God. Every other title that you have points to what you have done, what you accomplished. And it's a title that will die with you. <laughs> but the title, Son, puts us all on the same level. We are sons and daughters, and it points to the work that God has given us. The disciples had to learn that their identity from here on depended on being with Jesus, on being in Jesus. So, what's the first one? See if you're following me. First one is? Obeying. Second one is? Staying behind you. Third one? Staying with him. him, Being with him. Ready for a fourth one? I'm going to do it anyhow. So, last one is sacrificing. Following Jesus means sacrificing. You know, it's very interesting to see what the disciples had to leave behind when they decided to follow Jesus. What did Andrew and Peter leave behind? Huh? The net. They left the net. You probably say, oh, "What's the big deal, right? Stinky fishing net. Who cares about it?" But what did the net mean to them? For me, fishing is a hobby. If I catch something, yeah. If I don't catch something, eh. But for them, what did the net mean? Life. It was their income. It was their identity. It meant everything. It meant everything. That was was what gave them security. (laughs) That's what gave them a sense of identity. And they had to leave it behind to follow Jesus. How about James and John? What did they leave behind? They left their father, right? They left their father, sacrifice of relationship. They left their father and they left their boat as well. And they followed Jesus. Following Jesus always involves sacrificing. And it's not just a one-time thing. I, I did that in the past and that's it. No, the temptation for me is always to get attached to things. About a year ago, I was invited to speak at an event in Holland. It was a gathering of people from Muslim background who decided to follow Jesus. It was 170 people. Most of them have come from the Middle East, Iraq, and Syria. And God, through the war, had drew these people to himself. It was organized by people from Muslim background. The food was prepared for people from Muslim background. The worship, everything else. I was the only person actually there among them who's not from a Muslim background. I was invited to go and... Share the word with them, and I went there thinking I want to encourage these brothers and sisters. But honestly, when I left, I felt just so encouraged by listening to their testimonies. Just seeing these people and the amount of suffering that they endured and the things that they had to sacrifice just to follow Jesus. Some of them had to leave behind, you know, relationships. Some of them inheritance, possessions, homes, family members, comfort, all of that to follow Jesus friend of mine, Khalil, when he decided to follow Jesus, he comes from a big family, large family, 17 brothers. When he decided to follow Jesus, his brothers called him. They said, forget about your inheritance. Their father is very rich. He's married four. That's why he's got 17 kids, because he's got a lot of money. So they said, forget, you're not getting a dime. My other friend from Sudan, when he decided to follow Jesus, his parents, his family rejected him. They bought a coffin and they did a funeral for him and they invited people to it. There's always sacrifice. There's always price to pay when you follow Jesus. Sometimes we preach to Jesus that, ah, you just add him on on top of whatever you're doing. You just keep doing whatever you're doing. But to follow Jesus really involves sacrifice. In fact, I can be honest with you this morning, I think some of you are not following Jesus wholeheartedly because you're attached to things in your life. You're not willing to let go of those things. They could be good things, but they could also, they could be bad things, but also they could be good things. But they're taking God's place in your heart. Jesus is brutal. I don't want to, you know, fool you. Jesus asks for everything. Sometimes we negotiate, right? God, I will give you one room in my house. He says, no, I want the whole house. I'll give you one seat in the car, the best seat. Pick the best seat. No, I want the whole car. I'll give you the top of my priorities. Pick the top three priorities. No, I want the whole list. I'll give you one day a week. Pick the best day. No, (laughs) I want the whole week. It's hard. It's brutal. He comes when God goes to Abraham. What did he ask Abraham to sacrifice? He said, take your son, your only son, the one that you love. For Abraham, he had to wait 100 years to get his son. 100 years. For him, Isaac was everything. His whole hope was attached on on Isaac, was built on Isaac. And God says, take your son, and offer him as a burnt offering. You know what surprised me about the story is that God did not stop him when he woke up early in the morning and he's ready to go do this. If I was God, I'd say, okay, well, that's, he's serious. This guy means business. He woke up early to do this. Maybe I should stop it here. He didn't stop him. He travels for three days with his son and his servants and the wood, and he didn't stop him there during these three days. He gets to the bottom of the mountain. He leaves the servants. He puts the wood on on Isaac's back. And he's climbing the mountain. This guy is serious. Okay, let's end it, God. You know his heart. No. When did he stop him? When he's about to just drop that knife and offer his son. For Abraham, it was all gone. (laughs) I think at that moment, he wasn't attached to Isaac anymore. He was willing to give everything to God. And I can imagine him coming down that mountain. Free to love God with all his heart, mind, and soul, and strength. What are the things that you're attached to in your life that are keeping you from following Jesus? Jesus called many people to follow him. Not all of them followed him because some of them could not let go of things. They had some other priorities. One guy said, let me go bury my dad. That's a great excuse. Jesus said he's not fit for the kingdom. Why? Because he had that as his priority. He said, let me first go and do this. He has something else that's more important. The rich young ruler came to Jesus and said, what do I need to do to enter into the kingdom of God? And he seemed he knew the right answers. He did everything that's correct. Jesus says, one thing, you lack one thing, go sell what you have and come follow me. The guy put his head down and he left sad because he had so much money he was so attached to it and he was not willing to let go of it the bible says that jesus loved him but he chose to stay attached to his money and not follow jesus what are the things in your life that you are attached to that are keeping you from following jesus i know what what it is for me what are my temptations but i know what it is for you and as I mentioned earlier, sometimes we will let go of them, but sometimes we go back and reattach ourselves to these things. You know, Peter, here, he left everything and followed Jesus. But do you remember the story after Jesus, when Jesus, you know, uh, was on the cross? And then in John chapter 21, Peter says, I'm going back fishing. He decided to go back to fish. And the disciple says, we'll join you, we'll go back fishing. <laughs> And it was a bad day fishing. It seems they forgot how to fish. They didn't catch anything. So Jesus comes on the shore. He asks them, do you have anything? They said, no, we've tried all night and didn't catch anything. He says, throw it on the right side. They threw it on the right side. They caught a lot of fish. They said, oh, he's the Lord. They came running to Jesus. A beautiful scene. Because the Bible uses one word that's only used twice in the whole Bible. It says, Jesus prepared a charcoal fire. That word charcoal is only used twice in the Bible. One time in this passage. The other time when Peter denied Jesus, he went to warm his hands on a charcoal fire. (laughs) Jesus brings back that scene. And he goes to the heart. He says, Peter, do you love me? Peter, do you love me? He asked him three times. And what's interesting in the question, Jesus says, do you love me more than these? It's very interesting what these means. There's a lot of different comments on it. Some people think it's the disciples because Peter said, I love you more than these. Even if they deny you, I will never deny you. But I think these means the fish. It refers to the fish. Jesus is saying to him, Peter, I called you to follow me. (laughs) And now you're back fishing. I have a great task for you, but I want to know where your heart is. Do you love me more than these? I don't know what these is for you. (laughs) Probably not the fish, maybe something else. But my prayer is that you will not stay attached to it. You know, Jesus offers you to to, to give everything because He loves you. And He knows that if you're attached to anything more than Him, it will take you away from Him. And away from Him, there's no life. Don't fool yourself. That's why He asks you to offer it all. So, four things this morning. I'm ending here. First one is? Second one? Same behind. Third one? You guys are getting helped here. (laughs) And the last one is? Sacrificing. I'm going to ask you to bow your heads. Before, I know it's Sunday, probably have some other plans. But before we rush into the next thing, just take a moment here. I don't know what the Spirit is saying to you. Which one of these areas you need to pay attention to? But before you move into the next thing, just take a moment here and let the Holy Spirit speak to you for a second. Maybe you're not living a life of obedience. You're trying to do the religious acts and cover your lack of obedience, substitute obedience by different acts of worship. Maybe you moved ahead of Jesus. You're following your own plans, your own dream, your own project. Or maybe you're basing your identity on something else other than being with him. You're not abiding in Jesus in the vine. Or maybe there are some things that you're so attached to that are really keeping you from following him wholeheartedly. The invitation is before you this morning. Jesus is inviting you to follow him. It's your decision, your choice. Just trust that you would respond to whatever the Spirit is saying to you.
0: Thank you you for taking the time to listen to this podcast. For more resources, check out go to crosspoint.com.